Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. And on this episode, I spoke with Tony Roberts, who I first got to know um, from Annie Hall, where he was cast as uh, Woody's best friend, although he's been in a zillion um, Woody Allen films and actually starred with him in um, Play It Again, Sam, um, both as the play and film. Um, He's a two-time Tony-nominated actor. Um, he's had a long career, and he's written about it um, in Do You Know Me? Um, I, I wanted to say what a p- privilege it was to to hear about his career and also about his father, um, who Woody Allen um, himself had, had known about um, because he was on the radio for a long time. Um, and also find out what it's like to be from a three-generation acting family um, along the way and... Um, I don't know. It was just such a joy to speak with him. So we talked a little bit about things you can find out in his book. Um, and this will just give you a taste of what a gem he really is. And he also put up with me calling him Max. No, I didn't do that. I will not do that. I will not do that to someone. But I did let him know that I tried to call my best friend Max. Because um, Woody and him keep calling each other Max and Annie Hall. And uh, the joke didn't go over because the joke had already been done. And it had been done well by Woody and Tony. Here's our interview. It was recorded live at the Writers Guild. The first thing I started doing acting-wise out of um, college was a soap opera. Um, I can't remember chronologically whether I started first on The Edge of Night, which was an afternoon soap opera, um, or whether I got my first Broadway part. Uh, and I don't remember the sequence of that, but um, I was on the soap opera for about a year, playing a character in a wheelchair, which was really lucky because I didn't have to remember any blocking. Uh, That was good. And um, I met a lot of fine people on the soap opera, and that was great fun uh, because you become part of family. Uh, The the family of people who are working on that every day become your best pals because you spend so much time together. And the family that you're a part of in the fictional story begins to take on some kind of significance, too, when you play the same part with the same mother and the same brother or the same girlfriend for a year or something like that. Those relationships can be uh, uh, fun to uh, uh, create. Um, So I started doing that, but I I also went on auditions for commercials and uh, gradually uh, took a couple of years till I got going in that uh, area. But you know, the way that works is uh, the people who cast commercials um, are looking for names. They're looking to tell the uh, franchises who sell automobiles that uh, they've got Brad Pitt doing their voiceovers yeah. or John Hamm or who you can hear now on a Mercedes or something. It it comes with the territory of your visibility in other ways. Was that the case when you started out as well? Because I thought that that was a more recent phenomenon. 
No. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, as my uh, stardom started to fade, uh, so did the offers to do voiceovers. So depressing. About how successful you are and how you measure that. I had 20 years of being one of the most uh, in-demand voiceover people in the business. I had, at one point, uh, seven of the largest accounts in the country. And uh, I only had them because I was that, that visible uh, from the Woody Allen movies and from Serpico and from television appearances. And so I was in the catbird seat. It was easy to represent me because I, um, I was out there. Uh, Burgess Meredith once said it's always easy to represent somebody when they're hot because all the agent has to do is pick up the phone. Whereas if you're cold, there's very little the agent can really do to get you hot. That that just happens because you were lucky enough to be in a in a hit. And uh, if you look at the biographies of the biggest stars of the last 75 years, they made they made 60 movies you never have heard of. Right. Uh, right. Never. And they may be made four that you really uh, are aware of. That's the ratio uh, of, of, of an average career. So you do a great deal of stuff that no one ever gets to see because it's no good. So I just wanted to talk to you about working with Woody Allen. Let's start at first with Play It Again, Sam, which was a role you reprised after being in the Tony-nominated play. Well, actually, that was the second play that I was in that Woody Allen wrote. The first play I was in was called Don't Drink the Water, and that ran for about a year on Broadway, and um, uh, that's where we met initially. Um, I had to audition for it and did about five times, and uh, I happened to be in another play at the time on Broadway, Don't... uh, uh, barefoot in the park. Yes. And uh, he came to see that, and he came back and introduced himself to me, and he said that I was very good and that uh, I was a very poor auditioner. <laughs> and uh, that was the beginning of our uh, relationship, although it wasn't a friendship for a long time. He was terribly shy, and uh, I was in awe of him because I knew who he was as a uh, as a comedian, as a comic. Um, but then I was cast about three years later in, in uh, Play It Again, Sam, and, and he was in that. Uh, so we were performing that together eight times a week for, oh, easily, I guess, about eight or nine months before uh, I left that cast, and I was replaced by somebody. I went to do another show, another play. But anyway, we, we, we gradually, very slowly began to become uh, more comfortable with one another. You got to do a string of phenomenal films, so I wanted to know what it was like acting um, several times with similar people again and again in these ensembles. Well, the, the God's honest truth is you never knew you were making another one until the one you were making was over. Got it. Um, I was never a big enough star to have a lineup of projects that I knew I was going to be doing. Every job I ever had ended, and I had no job after it. Yeah. And I went through my unemployment insurance several times, and I would get finished with a film, and I would sit around for three months and wonder if I'd ever get anything again. And then a play would come along, or David Merrick would cast me in five Broadway shows back-to-back. I worked for him for almost seven years. And during that time, I may have made one or two movies. Um, uh, I may have done a television pilot in there somewhere. Um, But that sense of um, of arrival, of arrival, or of of achievement... um, um, 
you know, again, I could measure it against the people I went to school with who were not as fortunate as I and who were not working and who were having a difficulty paying their rents. Uh, but I never thought that I was uh, secure and safe and I was riding high. I was told, don't buy expensive houses, don't buy expensive cars, keep your overhead low because every job ends and uh, you're going to find yourself in this terrible business over and over and over again. And I don't think I know an actor who wouldn't say exactly the same thing. And nobody knows whether they're riding as high as they are going to ride when they're in the middle of a movie or a job or something. The guy who was most shocked by uh, success was Al Pacino after uh, Serpico was uh, was uh, reviewed and released. And I bumped into him accidentally in the lanes one night, and he was like a kid in a candy store. He just couldn't believe it. He was so thrilled that the film had come out successfully. So you don't know when you're making something, whether it's a hit or whether it's a bomb. And you you find out gradually uh, afterwards that I don't- you you did something good. I don't know anyone who, who um, I love and who is smart who ever looks at the people who didn't succeed as well. We always look up and say, oh, God, what, have not, what haven't I done? And who's this and who's that? I mean, yeah. uh, it would be a much easier way to live through life if you didn't have neuroses. But <laughs> <laughs> I unfortunately am not uh, in, in touch with any of those people. I loved in the book when you talk about um, saving money and also about being swindled by managers um, and and being careful about money, I thought it was such profound advice that I really haven't seen in any other book, and I thought it was extremely thoughtful. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you for that. And understanding that it's a marathon, and you have no idea whether you're going to be running it still, or walking it, or just sort of watching other people uh, run <laughs> sometimes. Exactly. Exactly how, it's, how it is. And, and I think the reason why so many actors get into trouble with financial managers is because you suddenly make a big amount of money on something. I mean, very suddenly. It's not like you've worked in an office at a certain scale and then suddenly they move it up three times. No, it's that you're making nothing and you're walking around and you're on unemployment and suddenly you get a big part in a big picture and you're going to make a bunch of money at one time on a television series or a kind of... And somebody comes up to you, a financial advisor, and says, you don't want to give all that money to the government, do you? And, of course, you say no. And they say, well, let me take care of it for you. I'll put it in tax shelters. And we'll buy this and we'll buy that. And you'll hold on to it and you'll be safe and secure and all the rest. And it's very alluring. And then they ask you to sign a a power of attorney so you don't have to write all the checks and make out all the forms and be involved in all of that, which isn't what you want to do anyway. You want to learn lines. Right. So uh, once you've given your power of attorney to somebody, anything can happen. And uh, it did to lots and lots of people in my business who um, hit the jackpot and uh, lost it all because they gave the uh, power of attorney to somebody who promised them they'd take care of it well. Uh, and absolutely, and, and earn a living doing, you know, saying those statements and claims. I mean, I think that happened for many people with Bernie Madoff where, where they understood that. I know that your father helped found AFTRA, um, and I know that he was involved in causes as well. Were you as well? Well, I'm... Um, I consider myself a liberal, progressive um, New Yorker. Yeah, yes. <laughs> With New York values. <laughs> yes. Um, 
I served on the uh, board of directors of the of Actors' Equity Association for several years, uh, um, and I. But that's not a philanthropic cause. That's a that's a purposeful cause to uh, help the people in my industry and uh, represent <clears throat> myself and others. Um, I was also on the board of Screen Actors Guild for about 11 years, and I'm still the president of something called Theater Authority which is an organization founded in 1938 to protect performers uh, when they do charitable um, presentations and mar uh, telephones and things like that because when you do work under those uh, auspices, you're not insured. So yes. if you get hurt, um, there's nobody who's going to pay your bills. Um, so uh, Theater Authority was established by the five performer unions, Equity, SAG, AFTRA, uh, AGMA, and Agba. Um, I didn't even know about the last ones, and I love having this conversation in the Writers Guild. Oh, well, the Writers Guild is not one of the five guilds that made up Theater Authority. Yes, no, but I meant we're having this conversation in the Writers Guild. Oh, right, okay. Well, we, oh, in the building of the Writers Guild. We're in the offices oh, yes, of the Writers Guild. Ha, <laughs> true. But anyway, uh, I'm proud of having served in that capacity to see that my fellow actors are. Uh, protected as they should be, and um, it it seems wonderful that you're doing it. And I was also thinking because your father had um, helped found what became AFTRA, and that was why. It yes, he was found one of the founders of AFRA, actually, which was the American Federation of Radio Artists, because mm -hmm. there was no television when that started, and then it became AFTRA. That's what I meant. American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Yeah. Um, and lastly, uh, so you're in this um, pilot <laughs> dinner. Dinner with Brett Gelman with Patty Lupone, and uh, it's going to Sundance. Um, it seems like a departure um, from Amityville and <laughs> um, Serpico and um, Radio Days. I, I wanted to ask, what is it about, and what your role is in it? Wow, that's the toughest question you've asked. <laughs> There's a uh, something I'd never heard of called Adult Swim, which mm -hmm. is a television network or channel that uh, that. Uh, shows things after midnight um, on, I think, just weekends on the Cartoon Network. But it's not a cartoon. It's not animated. It's live-action, real people. And Brett Gelman, a very, very bright and creative uh, uh, ex-stand-up comic, um, created this wonderful idea of a, of a show in which people are having dinner uh, who are friends, and th the conversation for about 10 minutes is very lighthearted and jolly and a lot of jokes, and then suddenly it gets very dark. I mean, scary dark, like something out of uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or something, and uh, you don't know what to think about it, but it's kind of scary and terrifying, and then for the last 10 minutes, they all make friends again, and it all calms down and gets back to normal. So I had never seen this program, but apparently once a year, I think it's only been two years so far. They do a, a big, uh, large version, the Gelman Family Dinner, it's called. And uh, this was a, um, an, a, a piece created by Brett Gelman in which uh, myself and Patty Lapone would play his parents in a fantasy uh, retrospective of his youth. And... Um, 
I don't know, the first time I read it, I sent it back to my agents and I said, you got to be out of your mind. I said, I can't make any sense out of this. And they said, trust us, trust us. This is good. This is good. This is good for you. And you'll be glad you did it. <laughs> and I went to California and Patty and Lapone and I had a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. We'd never met. And we did this crazy uh, thing, which turns into, it turns out, Gelman has written this as if his two parents, being played by Patty and myself, are the two most horrible people that ever walked the <laughs> earth. I mean, it is... It sounds like Brad, I know him from performing. Stunning, stunningly <laughs> uh, <laughs> grotesque. Uh, but we did it, and um, it was shown uh, on Adult Swim uh, two months, three months after we shot it, just once. And I got phone calls from people I uh, had uh, asked to watch it, and some people said they couldn't watch it. It was too obscene. They had to turn it off after 10 minutes. And I got other phone calls from people who said it's one of the best things they ever saw, and <laughs> I was never better, et cetera, et cetera. And I just found out last week that it's been uh, invited to Sundance in the After Midnight Shorts section. So I don't know what that'll uh, turn out to be, but I'm delighted. Well, it sounds fabulous, and hopefully you'll um, dress warmly for it. <laughs> um, and Do You Know Me is out right now? It is, it is available on Amazon.com as a hardcover. It's also available in any bookstore you go into. You can ask them to order it for you, and they will. Um, you can also listen to it. Uh, I narrate it uh, in a version that's about six or seven hours long uh, that can be uh, downloaded from audible.com. And uh, you can find that, obviously, on the Internet. Well, Tony, thank you so much for bearing with, with me and uh, being with me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Katie. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you for tuning in. Um, and thanks to all of you for listening. And thank you to Alex at um, Superfine Audio for editing this together. Go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out more. You can go to live tapings. You can follow us at Katie Lazarus. And most importantly, make sure you are smart about your finances. I learned it a little bit later in life, but I was really glad to learn in this episode. Um, well, learn from reading his book as well as talking about it in this episode how important it is. Okay. Uh, now that we're strapped in financially, we're ready to go. All right, I'm not going to recommend you book a vacation anywhere, but if you do, if you can afford it, enjoy it. Enjoy it uh, for the two of us. All right, bye. Sorry, if you're already listening to this while you're on vacation, well, then don't book another one because that just gets rude. Don't tell me about it. That's it. Talk to you soon. Bye.